Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, episode 23 of Newsday's New York Islanders Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Gross. Please find me on Twitter at agrossnewsday. And on the show this week, we uh, got a lot going on. We have uh, two retirement ceremonies. John Tinelli, uh, his number 27, went up to the rafters. And our good friend Butch Goring gets his 91 going up to the rafters on Saturday afternoon. So we'll, we'll hear from John Tinelli and his thoughts on his career with the Islanders, his teammates, uh, this honor... And, uh, you know, all sorts of topics discussed with John Tonelli. And also, you'll hear from Ken Morrow, uh, JT and Butchie's teammate on the four Stanley Cup winning Islanders teams from 80 to 83. And also a member of the 1980 Miracle on Ice Team USA gold medal winning team, uh, which celebrated its 40th anniversary this past weekend. Ken Morrow part of that. So we'll talk to Ken about both subjects, uh, the Islanders and Team USA. But first, the trade deadline. Monday was a busy, busy day, uh, not only for the Islanders, but around the league. But since this is an Islanders podcast, we will focus on the Islanders. And obviously, the the, the big move they made in on. Uh, Honestly, they, they, they took the big fish uh, off the board. Uh, you know, a player that a lot of teams wanted. Jean-Gabriel Peugeot from the Ottawa Senators. They give up a conditional first-round pick in 2020, a second-round pick in 2020, and a conditional third-round pick in 2022. That condition being that if the Islanders win the Stanley Cup, this season, the Senators get that third-round pick. Uh, the condition on the first-rounder for 2020 is that if the Islanders wind up with one of the top three picks in this June's draft up in Montreal, then that pick re- remains with the Islanders, and the Senators will get the Islanders' 2021 first-rounder. But, you know... Not likely that the Islanders are going to wind up in the top three of the draft this year as they battle for playoff position. And uh, how can you not like this J.G. Peugeot trade? And I, and I know, you know, the the one knock on it is uh, those three picks, a first, a second, and a, potentially a third. Um, it, 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 it's a big price to pay for Peugeot, but a couple of thoughts and, and why I am not uh, overly concerned with that really is one, it, it was a bigger price if Peugeot is a rental player and then he walks out the door in June or, you know, on July 1st and you got nothing to show for giving up a first, a second and, you know, uh, potentially a third rounder. But instead, Lou Lamarillo very, very, very quickly uh, after this trade is announced, uh, the second announcement that Pajot has agreed to a six-year extension with the Islanders. The Islanders uh, go further in terms of the length of a deal than the Senators. Uh, Pajot's hometown team, born and raised in Ottawa, um, could not get a deal done with the Senators, um, and, and Lou gives them that sixth year. Um, it's a $30 million deal, uh, salary cap hit of $5 million per season. I, I think that's a, a fair market price. And, and the other reason I, I like this deal is centers are so hard to come by. Um, you know, usually you have to develop your own, um, as the Islanders have done with Matthew Barzell, Brock Nelson, and Casey Sezikis, um, you know, and to be able to get a top-flight center, it's kind of difficult in the NHL. Um, you know, the Rangers got lucky. They they trade for Mika Zibanejad from the Senators um, for Derek Broussard, who, of course, is now with the Islanders and probably will have his spot on the third line in the middle uh, taken by Pajot. Brass will probably wind up playing on the wing. 
Um, but really, you know, and, and the other reason I, I really like this deal is because of the player that Pajot is. Since he's come back from the Achilles tendon injury uh, that he had last season, um, he's just been a very, very consistent player. And yeah, you look at the 24 goals he scored for the Senators in 60 games and uh, the 40 points overall, and that makes him the Islanders' leading goal scorer and puts him third on the team in points. But it's not necessarily just the points that make Pajot so valuable for the Islanders. You're, you're talking about a guy who's very good in the face-off circle. And the Islanders have certainly been looking and needing uh, that this season. So here's a guy you can rely on for face-offs, both the offensive and the defensive zone. So that's very valuable. You're also looking at a guy who's very, very comfortable and effective on the penalty kill. Uh, he can play the power play, but he's very effective on the penalty kill. And the Islanders and Barry Trotz have also certainly been looking for penalty killers, especially with Cal Clutterbuck and Casey Sezikis and Adam Pellick all sidelined with injuries. Uh, some good news on Cal Clutterbuck. Uh, Two-game conditioning stint with Bridgeport went well enough for him to rejoin the Islanders uh, for a morning skate and for practices, and we'll see how quickly Cal is able to get back into the Islanders lineup. But but for now, Pajot, you know, becomes one of the Islanders' better penalty killers. Um, you know, and, and he's as in terms of five on five play, uh, just a solid, solid, solid two way center. You know, he's been playing the top line uh, with Ottawa, which is not certainly as deep a team. As the Islanders are, um, he'll probably because he got Bars Barzell on the on the top line and Brock Nelson uh, entrenched on the second line, so he probably slots in as a third line center. But you know, Barry Trotz's issue all season really is he's not been able to roll those four lines uh, consistently uh, as he did last year, and Pajot gives him great depth down the middle. Uh, you know. Just think it, it was a, a necessary move for Lou Lamarillo to make, uh, to bring in someone. And, uh, you know, I, I, to be honest, I didn't think Pajot would be the guy that he would be able to get. And, uh, you know, it, it's a guy that really does check all the boxes. You can just tell that Pajot is going to be able to play a game that Barry Trotz wants and wants out of his team, a, a Barry Trotz kind of player. Um, you know, and, and last, in last week's podcast, uh, I asked for comments, uh, when they, uh, they acquired defenseman Andy Green from the, uh, from the New Jersey Devils and pretty much across the board, uh, the comments on the Andy Green trade were a very solid pickup, good deal, but it really means nothing if Lou Lamarillo can't get the help up front that the team so desperately needs. And, and I think Lou, uh, within the course of uh, over a span of eight days, has really, really buoyed and, and bolstered this lineup and really improved it uh, a lot as the Islanders go for a second straight playoff berth under Lou and Trotz. So, you know... Count me in the category of really, really, really liking uh, this deal for the Islanders. And, and as I said, I had advocated and suggested that Andy Green would be a really good fit for this team as well. And I think we're seeing that he has been. He's uh, just solid defensively, smart player. He's not going to do anything spectacular out there. But uh, against the San Jose Sharks, there were at least two goals he directly saved uh, by by just cutting off cross ice feeds to an open guy on the on the weak side, and uh, you know just and I believe he also swept the puck off the uh, the goal line before it went in. So I, I'm really liking what I'm seeing from Andy Green, and I'm expecting to really like what I see from JG Peugeot when he does make his Islanders debut. And, you know, on top of that, the Islanders almost made two trades on Monday at the trade deadline. A lot of reporting about the fact that they were in on Zach Parisi, which was a little bit of a surprise given that Parisi still has five seasons after this season to go on a 13-year 13 13 year $98 million deal. Um, 
wild GM Bill Guerin, while acknowledging that he was investigating a Parisi deal, admitted it was complicated to get it done. Now, uh, from the Islanders' side, and Lou Lamarillo would not confirm uh, this, but it, it certainly seemed like Andrew Ladd would have been part of a package to go to the wild to get this done, mainly just to, you know, even out the money there. But, uh, you know, Parisi obviously would have brought a lot of production, and uh, there's a lot of history uh, with Zach Parisi and the Islanders, namely that they had a chance and did not draft him, (laughs) Um, but also because his father, um, you know, so entrenched in Islander history, uh, J.P. Parisi. Um, so, but I, I, you know what, um, I, I, I think I'm okay not getting Parisi, uh, for this team just because uh, the, the five years left on that deal really scare me. And I, I know, you know, if Parisi for whatever reason decided to retire, uh, before the end of that deal, which he swears he will not do. Um, but five years is a long time when you get to be 35 years old uh, as a player and still have five years on the deal. Um, you know, the, the Minnesota Wild would have uh, really had a heavy burden on the salary cap recapture penalties uh, if Parisi did retire. So there wasn't much risk there uh, in that regard for the Islanders. And also uh, of the 98 million, 80 million has already been paid out. To Parisi, so in terms of actual dollars, um, it, it was not a very you know the, the the Islanders were not on the hook for the bulk of that contract, but still, it's a very it, it, it's it's an elevated salary cap figure for uh, Zach Parisi um, for five years, and I think that really would have impacted. Uh, Lou Lamarillo's flexibility moving forward. I think it would have been good in the short short term, but long term, I I, I was not crazy uh, about that deal. I, I'm much more happy with the Pajot acquisition. So you know that that that's where I stand with that. Um, but this week is a big week for the Islanders beyond the JG Pajot acquisition. Of course, John Tinelli. Four-time Stanley Cup winner had his number 27 retired prior to Sunday's 4-1 win over the Sharks. And the week will be bookended uh, when uh, Tonelli's teammate and also four-time Stanley Cup winner and Islanders broadcaster Butch Goring sees his 91 go up to the stands uh, before Saturday's game against the Boston Bruins, so uh, a very big week for the Islanders. And uh, to, to talk about both Butchie and, and John Tonelli, and also, as I mentioned, the 40th anniversary of the 1980 Team USA Miracle on Ice gold medal winning uh, performance at Lake Placid, uh, Ken Morrow, uh, the wonderful defenseman, um, you know, and we can talk about his number six as well. Um, you know, uh, he was, uh, now an Islander scout. He was at the Islanders game at Colorado that wrapped up that 04 and 0, uh, road trip. Uh, he was on his way up to Las Vegas where they were having a reunion, for the 40th anniversary uh, of that team on Saturday. Um, And I sat down with Ken during the first intermission in the press box to talk about a wide range of subjects, both Hockey USA, Team USA, and the Islanders. And uh, you'll forgive me, about two minutes into this interview, uh, it was Led Zeppelin night out at Pepsi Center, and uh, I did not realize they were going to have a Led Zeppelin cover band come out and play live during the first intermission. Um, so you you might hear a few Zeppelin songs in the background, but uh, uh, the main part is I want you to listen to this interview I conducted with Kenny Morrow. And I'm honored to have a chance to uh, spend a couple of minutes with Ken Morrow, of course, uh, now an Islander scout, um, part of four Stanley Cup winners, and of course the 1980 Miracle on Ice gold medal winning team. And uh, it's going to be a busy 
week here for you. You got a, a lot going up between the uh, the reunion for the 40th anniversary of Miracle on Ice and uh, John Tonelli and uh, Butch Goring's uh, retirement ceremonies. Uh, how how are you planning on juggling all this? Wow, it's a, it's a lot of great stuff happening, you know, and that makes it uh, much more fun. But uh, as you said, you know, we've had these anniversaries before. 40th is is very special, um, and. You know, just uh, looking forward. We're going to have everybody out there except one, and um, we're uh, we're going to celebrate hockey and what happened back in 1980. I guess we'll start there since that's the most. You're going to Vegas tomorrow, but um, what, what what does it feel like when you're able to get back together? I know you see people, but when the group is together, what what kind of special bond and feeling do you guys still have? You know, 40 years later. Yeah, it's, it's hard to describe because, uh, you know, for the first, I'd say, 25, 30 years, everybody was busy with their own lives. So we might see each other once a year, maybe twice a year if we were lucky, sometimes not for a couple years. Understandable, we all had other things going on. But I'd say for the last uh, 10, 15 years, it's been pretty special. You know, we've probably gotten together a lot more um, than the first uh, 25 years. And, and, and so it's... Um, yeah, there'll always be that bond. I, you know, you've heard it said from other players on other teams and other sports, but when you've been through something like that, usually what happens when guys to get to get together, it you almost revert back to your 23-year-old self, you know, and and you're cracking jokes and you're still giving them crap about stuff, you know, and uh, and so that that you know that's the fun of it all. Does the enormity of what you guys accomplished and how much impact you guys had on U.S. hockey, USA hockey, does that kind of grow with the passage of time and you can kind of see the bigger picture? That's a great way to describe it. It has grown and, uh, you know, it, it took me a long time and a lot of people coming up to me. I'd probably say I've had tens of thousands of people that have come up to me over 40 years. So if you just said we had a, a huge impact on hockey, you know, back 20 years ago, I just said, nah, I'm not so quite so sure. But I've heard it from enough people. Um, I've, I've, you know, talked to enough USA players that have come through, uh, even Canadian people and everything else. Uh, it wasn't just a USA thing; it was a worldwide thing. So. Uh, you're, you're spending what, probably a day or, or two out there, and then now you're coming back for uh, for John to maybe coming back to see some alumni. You know, obviously you're in the organization. Are, are they different feelings when you get together with the groups? Because, you know, four Stanley Cup champions. Can you even compare the two? <laughs> Very hard. I've been asked a lot of times to compare the two. They were different, you know, and I wouldn't want to have to choose between one or the other. Uh, very fortunate to take a part in both. So, yeah, I'm kind of like the king of anniversaries, you know, uh, because we've had them with the Olympic team and we've had them with the Islanders. And, uh, you know, it's 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 the fun part of uh, not, not playing anymore. <laughs> uh, just getting back to Team USA, obviously they're showing the movie Miracle, you know, kind of nonstop now. When you were growing up, did you ever think someone would play you in a movie? <laughs> <laughs> no way, no way, no. It, you know, it's still, uh, and, and the great thing about that is, is just that it's brought it to all these young kids. And, uh, you know, because I, when people ask me about what happened in 1980, I call it ancient history, you know, a, long time, a lot of time has passed. But now you've got all these kids. When I do an event, I'll have as many young kids or even more young kids that'll come up to me. They've memorized every line in the movie. They use it as a motivational thing. Um, they have tears in their eyes. Their parents have tears in their eyes for different reasons. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, the movie is just, uh, I call it the never-ending miracle, and that's a, a big reason why. What, what impact did Herb Brooks have on your life, you know, as a person and as a hockey player? And, and do you still feel that loss? Well, I think any great coach has an impact on your life, whether it be Herb Brooks, Al Arbor. Um, but, yes, I uh, hate to think of what my life would be like without him. And, and I, I find that I use a lot of that stuff, you know, for my own family. Um, and it certainly kind of opened my mind to a lot of different things. And that's what Herb did. You know, he was a very innovative coach. He was doing things that nobody else thought could be done with North American hockey at that time. Uh, just really glad that I was uh, able to be a part of it. Describe John Tonelli as a teammate. <laughs> He was a Tasmanian devil on skates, I like to say, you know. Uh, 
he had to have been a nightmare to play against. I mean, I had to go up against him in practice every day, but, you know, a game was a whole nother level. There was just a, a relentless intensity to the guy every time he jumped over the boards. And he made you feel guilty if you weren't giving that same kind of effort, which nobody could. You couldn't rise to that level, but um, it sure made you, he sure pulled everybody along with him, you know. And that was the one cool thing about those Islander teams. I, I, I would almost describe Bob Tonelli and some of the other guys we had on that team the same way. Did I say Bob Tonelli? Bob, yeah, yeah, Bobby Bob Nice. I, I knew who you meant. But. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you know, I think that's, you know, that's what sets, you know, a good team apart from a championship team or to have players like that that, that lead the charge on the ice. Well, if you could put yourself in both JT and Butchie's shoes, what do you think this means for them to, to, to go up into the rafters and to see their number alongside, you know, Denny and uh, Bobby and, and Brian and, you know, Smitty and, and all those guys, Bill Torrey, you know. Uh. It really has to be the ultimate because, you know, you play your career, but you play the good portion of your career in front of your home fans. And so to be honored in front of your home fans, it just kind of uh, puts a final stamp on, on what you've done. And, uh, you know, I, I know that I'm going to be emotional for them, and I'm, I'm sure they are as well. So, And describe Butch as a teammate. and uh, You know, everyone talks about how he was that piece yes. that came in. But describe what Butchie was like. I, I obviously, we know him now as a broadcaster and a, kind of a, that kind of personality. Kind of the same as a player? Yeah, you know, he knew when to be loose and he knew when to be serious, you know. And, uh, and, and that's a, a good quality to have, you know. And, and so he brought this veteran presence to the team. I was, you know, only on a team two weeks before he came in, so I'm still trying to absorb all that as well. But you could just see right away, you know, he fit in. He was a coach's dream as a player because he did everything, you know. You put him on the ice, he killed penalties, power play, scored, checked, great on faceoffs. Coaches love those kind of players, you know. And uh, and then when you're as good in the locker room as he was on top of that, uh, you know, it's just uh, – one of the all-time greats, really. Yeah. I know earlier I forgot to mention uh, Clark Gillies, number nine, and Mike Bossy, as well as guys who have had their numbers retired. I, I, I was chatting with Bossy uh, about a month or so ago, and, and I asked him what other numbers, you know, maybe should be retired, and he thought what, what we came up with, and I forgot whether I suggested to him, he suggested to me, was a banner for all the players who played on all four Stanley Cups? Some way to recognize, you know, you is and and, the, and all the guys who won four Stanley Cups. Yeah, because it's unprecedented, really. I know there are teams that won four and five, but you know, the 19 playoff series, it was uh, something that that won't be, you know, it won't be done again, quite frankly. And um, but yeah, I think that kind of just goes to the whole team atmosphere that that Bill Torrey and Al Arbor built, and everybody was valuable in their role, you know. Uh, Gordy Lane, Gary Howitt, right on down the line, you, you don't want to leave anybody out. But, uh, yeah, I, you know, understandable. We, You know, you don't win without your superstar players and leaders that, whose numbers are up there, but they've all said the same thing, you know. Um, if you don't have Gordy Lane, if you don't have these other guys, you know, Dwayne Sutter, and right on down the line, uh, you don't win. Yeah. I asked Bossy this one too, and I ask it because you know I played goalie as a kid. I loved the position. What was it like playing in front of Smitty? <laughs> you know, fantastic. Uh, other than you know, if you were collateral damage standing <laughs> near his crease, you know. That's the same thing Bossy said. <laughs> uh, oh, how can you not love playing for the guy? You know, as intense a guy that you never want to see in your life, you know, um, and he carried that onto the ice, and, you you know, some people talk a, a good game, Billy, you know, <laughs> he, he took it on the ice, and, and he backed it all up, and more, uh, so yeah, absolutely love the guy, you know, I, uh, I, I was just really, really lucky, you know, to be able to play with all these great players, and in front of a guy like Billy Smith, and Glenn Rush, and all these other guys. Yeah, and, you know, not to forget Chico, who's, you know, become a good friend also as a Devils broadcaster. Last one, we talked about Herb Brooks. 
How similar or how different was Herbie from Al Arbor? Well, they were different, you know. Um, in a in a nutshell, I think you know Al was just I, I, he was like that stern father figure, but you you didn't want to disappoint him. You also didn't want to cross him, and he was uh, very uh, you know his teams were just they didn't beat themselves. You know uh, the fundamentals. Uh, Al drilled the fundamentals into you, and uh, when I talked to guys that we played against back in that era, they all said the same thing. You know, you guys were just really hard to play against. You know. Uh, and with with Herb, it was the innovation, you know, the the, the psychological uh, pushing all the right buttons. You probably heard it a thousand times, but it was just incredible. I'm still finding out 40 years later some of the things he did. That was all masterminded and planned. There wasn't one thing that didn't happen throughout our our five months leading up to the Olympics. The, the choosing of the team, everything that happened during those two weeks up in Lake Placid. There wasn't one thing that Herb didn't plan out, and uh, it all happened. And it, I mean, I don't know that you can say that about any sporting event that's happened in history where where it's played out like that. I'm sure some of those things at the time left you scratching scratching your head, but with you know, as years go by, you you understand all of it. Right? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, like I said, you know, I I'll sit next to somebody that. That happened to be, you know, uh, a committee member or somebody that had met Herb and talked to him. And, uh, you know, I, I, I walk away shaking my head when they tell me the stories about him. But an absolutely brilliant coach and tough, tough as nails, you know. And the conditioning. You know, the conditioning was unique at the time. We were doing things that the NHL started doing 30 years later with overspeed training and plyometrics and, you know, we were all looking at each other. What is this? You know, but it won us the tournament. We outscored teams 16 to three in the third periods. You know? All right. Well, Ken, listen. I hope you have a wonderful time in Vegas, and we'll see you back at the Coliseum for uh, one or two of those events. And and thank you so much for your time. Thanks. Much appreciated. Thank you. And, and beyond the retirement ceremony ceremonies this week uh it's also a big week uh you know the islanders obviously battling to uh uh retain playoff position which is why they went ahead and made these deals um but they play their fourth and final game uh, against the new york rangers the rival rangers who, who also had a very interesting uh trade deadline day um in that uh chris Kreider re-signed for seven seasons and uh, also, uh, it was announced that uh, uh, Igor Shesterkin, um, their their wonderful rookie goalie, uh, was involved in a car crash in Brooklyn, and uh, is going to be out at least two weeks. Um, Pavel Buchnevich also injured in that, um, so neither one of those I expect to play against the Islanders and uh, the Rangers also trading uh, defenseman Brady Shea to the Carolina Hurricanes. So a busy trade deadline day for the Rangers as well, but a, a really big game because uh, thanks to Shesterkin, uh, the the Rangers have, have clawed and fought their way back into uh, playoff contention, and uh, the Islanders can't afford to give up any points to the Rangers at this point, uh, just as much as they need to continue climbing. Uh, you know, Columbus seems to have the whole roster hurt, but they still manage to continue to get points, and the Flyers have moved into third place in the Metro, and the and the Islanders certainly at minimum, I, I think, would want to finish third in the division and not worry about, have to worry about wild card positioning but it's going to be a tough battle the carolina hurricanes uh got better at the trade deadline i mentioned they acquired brady shea but also uh vincent trocek from the florida panthers and also sammy sammy vatnan the defenseman from the devils although he's hurt um probably won't play until march at some point but still the, the hurricanes also get better at the trade deadline so uh that also makes it a very important week uh, for the the Islanders beyond you know retirement ceremonies. However, um, just to take you back to 
Sunday's John Tonelli retirement uh, ceremony before uh, the banner went up. He met with the press at the Islanders' practice facility. And here's John Tonelli talking to the media about what this all means to him. Ever since I got the call from Lou, um, it's, I've been in, in a different mood, you know, all upbeat. Nothing kind of stresses me out. It's just been a constant uh, excitement and a great feeling. Is that, is that just a continuation kind of with the camaraderie you've had with these guys over the years to be able to join the select few here? Well, listen, there's, there's no doubt there's a special bond. When we, uh, we don't see each other very often, but when we do, you know, it's a, it's a big hug, it's a big smile, and it's, it's uh, something you'll never forget. Uh, all the work, all the hard work put into creating that bond. I guess what's the reaction been like? I'm sure a lot of people have come out of the woodwork to congratulate you. Has it been just completely positive all the way around? Total, total positive. Everybody, uh, everybody that I've ever known on the planet has congratulated me and, uh, and are very proud and excited for me and my family. What are your favorite memories, John, of your time with the Islanders? Well, I think uh, the first one would be the, our first Stanley Cup win. You know, uh, we, went, we went through some ups and downs before, before we won in 80. Um, and those were, you know, when we lost against, uh, you know, the Rangers and, and when they lost against Toronto. And, you know, those were stingers, you know, those. But in hindsight, those were lessons that we, uh, that we learned and, and improved because we knew we, knew we needed more and, uh, and all of us. And that's probably the most important thing I can say, is all of us chipped in and did something at any given time to help our team get there. I know you'd like uh, for Al and Bill to be there tonight. I'm just wondering if you can just talk about what, what they meant to you and uh, especially thinking about them on a night like tonight. Uh, and Al, Al for me is, uh, he's, he was uh, an unbelievable uh, leader, mentor. I, I get emotional when I talk about Al because he was that, uh, that important to me. Uh, he, just, uh, he just said all the right things, and he was uh, good to all of us, and he got the best of every one of us. And, you know, he knew, he knew we were all different, but he knew how to talk to us differently to get the best. When, you, when people look up at the banner in the future, what do you want them to think about you, either style, because a lot of the younger fans in there never saw you play? Ah, well, I hope they watch some of the clips. You know, it's just, I wasn't the most graceful skater. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've heard me being, uh, well, I've seen me being described as uh, uh, pistol, piston pumping legs, you know, so. <laughs> I think I, I think I think I became a better skater as the years went on, uh, but uh, no. In the beginning, it was it was the the reason why I got here. You know, when you're a kid, it's it's a gift to play in the NHL, and it's um, and when you do get that opportunity to play, I mean, you you cherish it. And uh, I got here on a lot a lot of hard work. When you were playing, did you ever imagine that your career would culminate to this moment? Never in my wildest dream, never did I ever think this would happen. But as I, as I look back, I said, all that hard work you put into it, you're being rewarded, you know, and, and I'm being rewarded because of the great teammates that I had and everything that they did and the great, the great architect, Bill Torrey, putting things together, giving me the opportunity to play on that team, you know, and, and once again, Al. Could you describe your relationship with the current number 27 and maybe how that's grown through the process of you getting your number retired? Um, ever since he put on 27, I've been watching him like a hawk. <laughs> <laughs> but I am so impressed. I am so, so, uh, I, I'm, I'm so honored that he's going to continue to wear our number. He's just, uh, I can just tell he's got character. He's a great leader. And uh, not, you know what, I want him to wear that, and hopefully one day we'll be up there together. And I'm, I'm cheering big time for that. 
John, I wanted to ask you about some of those clips you referred to. Take me through your biggest uh, assist in uh, team history in the past to Bobby for the first cup. Oh, uh, well, we, uh, I'm sure you've heard it before, but we used to practice that play like religion. Every practice, uh, we always used to crisscross in the neutral zone. And we did that over and over and over again. There's some things that Al did that made it, <laughs> made practices longer than they should have been, but there is a reason. And at that given time, that situation happened. It just, when Bobby and I and I reacted to it, and Lorne, uh, Lorne Henning started it. So, uh, <clears throat> so, when, so when we executed that play, I have to tell you how, how emotionally drained I was and how tired I was. When that puck hit the back of the net and, and our goal was accomplished, there was, all I wanted to do was go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> how about your goal to beat Chico for the 15th straight win in the final minute? Ah, uh, that's the thing. I wish Chico was right here right now. He's, uh, he always tells me I got lucky on that one. But, <laughs> so, uh, th again, th you know, things happen in the game where they just, you got to be, uh, you got to react, and it's kind of like an, an instant reaction, and their defensive went down, and all I had to do was, I, I shot it, and it happened to be a perfect uh, screen, and Chico didn't see it, uh, but he tells me today he let that one in. <laughs> <laughs> what about the two against the Penguins, obviously, John? The dynasty ends at two cups if you don't tie it in regulation and, and win it in overtime in that game five. Well, you know, and I, like I said before, you know, every one of us at any given time uh, stepped up and did our deal, you know, did our thing to help the team. And that, uh, I guess that was my moment where I had the opportunity. And uh, uh, we just, you have to go back a step there because <clears throat> Al called a timeout and uh, changed goaltender. And uh, Al, and it's unbelievable because Al was not nervous or panicking one bit. I, you look back. He's not, he's not even excited, you know. But I could tell, you know, by him changing goaltenders, bought us some time and gave us a fresh breath, you know, another breath of air to breathe, you know, to survive. And uh, again, you know, uh, the puck bounces certain ways. We were working, working hard. We were out shooting them two to one, and we got a lucky bounce, and that's that's how I got the tire. And then uh, in overtime. Billy Smith came up with several several saves, and now I'm at the end of my shift, and I have a breakaway, and I'm about to pass out at center ice, <laughs> but I keep churning those legs, and uh, later on I played with Paul Baxter, Baxter, who was checking me, yes. and uh, when we fell down in the corner together, he actually thought he was getting a penalty, and so he kind of relaxed, but I got up, and uh, Bobby and I was all, all alone in front of the net. So I, I said, I got to give it to him. And uh, he deeped and kind of lost it a little bit right to my stick and it was wide open. I couldn't miss. John, you talked a lot about John Ledecky and how much work he put into trying to bring you back into the fold. <coughs> how hard was that? How much work did he put in to make this play possible for you? Uh, not hard Not hard at all. Uh, I'm, uh, I was so honored and, and blessed that John reached out to me personally. And uh, uh, he said, can we talk? And I said, absolutely, I no, no problem. So we actually played golf. I never had a better day of golf in my life <laughs> playing with John Ledecky. What a, what a wonderful, wonderful human being. And uh, as, as Islander alumni and, and the current players and all the fans, we are so lucky to have him as one of our owners. And, and we didn't really talk much. He just wanted to know what I was all about. And uh, and we've uh, we've become really good friends. John, what kind of honor is this for you, and where does it rank with the other ones in your career? I, uh, you know, again, uh, it's it's an individual honor, but I don't have it without without my center iceman Wayne Merrick, Bob Nystrom, my right winger, and the rest of my teammates. I don't have anything without those guys. John, what do the people of Long Island mean to you and the entire group during your time here? Really special, really special. That, that's the biggest, probably the biggest, I, well, I should say, is the biggest, is the fans and the community. When we came to play, we played for all the fans. They, they were our family, and we, uh, we cherished it. Every game, every game was full of 
full of electric. It didn't didn't matter who we were playing. It was an event. It was a family event. How important is it for you that this night is at the Coliseum as opposed to a Brooklyn? Because obviously the Islanders are bridging the gap to the new building by playing some, some games back here. It's uh, it's really sentimental. I mean, it's where it all happened for me. So uh, when I get down at ice level today, I'm going to be pretty excited. And uh, I, mean, I might be wishing I was in the corner digging for the puck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have some fun. What, what was it about the building, especially before the, the renovations and everything? What was it about playing in that building that, that made it so special? It's it's the fans. It's the family. You know, again, you know, it was Long Island was uh, wasn't uh, New York City. You know, we were we were different. We were different, and families came to our games, and we we're, were looking forward to it. You know, and and as players, we realized that. And we, we felt we were so lucky to have that. So we had, we had to play for them and reward them as much as we were trying to reward ourselves. Well, John, you mentioned the devastating losses in 78 and 79. Certainly number 91 arrives uh, the very next year and his number will go up eight days after yours. Can you talk about how Butchie kind of changed the culture in that room when he arrived and obviously it led to the four cups? It's just a, a tremendous uh, addition. You know, we were a pretty good hockey team before Butch uh, came to our team. And uh, we just, we were, we were definitely missing something. So there's the, the arch architect, Bill, uh, Bill Torrey at work again, and uh, they find the right piece. As soon as he came in and was added to our lineup, we, we're a different team, totally different team. We're, we're running, we're running pretty good, but now we're running on all cylinders. We're like a finely tuned machine. And uh, his, you know, his experience, and he was a he was a leader. He was a spark, you know. And his energy, I loved his energy. For me, you know, because I, I think like to think that I was an energy player. And here's and here's Butch, you know. I got I got somebody out there working working with energy, and I I, I loved it. Is it gratifying for the alumni that the current ownership and the current management group is, is reaching out to you guys and trying to have you guys? involved with, with the organization it's it's uh, I love it I love it I'm so excited I'm so uh, proud of the young boys out there the young kids playing I'm uh, I'm their biggest fan and uh, it's it's a great feeling to come back and to be welcome you know I'm not not gonna lie to you that wasn't that wasn't the case before you know whether it was somebody's fault or you know I didn't and I don't want to dwell on it I, I didn't you know but I wake up in the morning, I go, you know, I'm an Islander, and uh, my team is the New York Islanders, and uh, I'm cheering for those guys out there big time. How many people do you have here tonight? Oh, quite a few. <laughs> <laughs> quite a few. Is it easier or harder to be first up and Butchie going next week? I mean, would you be more nervous, you know, waiting the, the extra week? or? Yeah. I, I thought I had a lot of time to prepare, and it's today. <laughs> so I've been working at it, and uh, I've seen Butch in a, in a you know a couple times throughout. He says, "You're going, you're going first. <laughs> I said, "Thanks, Butch." <laughs> what do you think of the plans at Belmont? Have you, have you seen Have you seen the, the plans for it? And how, how excited are you? I'm very excited. God, we uh, unfortunately we, we don't have the barn. You know, it's not. It's not an NHL uh, venue, so we have to get one. And that's where I give so much credit to John and Scott for their commitment to build a new home. And these guys need a home. You know, these, these young players today, the game has evolved so much. Uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, dressing rooms, the way they're built. I mean, you remember, I don't, you don't remember. <laughs> I mean, it was antiquated, right? I mean, it's, it's tough. But today they're... The game, the game has evolved uh, on the, on the money level. You know, and I'm so happy that, that, that the players are making uh, big salaries. You know, and they're smart. Uh, but but it's it's a business. As a professional, as a professional, you want to walk into the best environment to compete, and they're going to have it. And again, my congratulations to John Tonelli for having his number 27 retired by the Islanders. It was a wonderful ceremony and uh, really well done by the team. Great speech by JT, uh, including Anders Lee. Uh, it just hit on all the notes. 
So uh, congrats to, to John and also thank you to Kenny Morrow for sitting down and talking both about uh, the Miracle on Ice 40th anniversary. They were all out at uh, Vegas on Saturday night and also about his two former teammates, uh, John Tonelli and Butch Goring, who will have his uh, 91 retired on Saturday. So uh, again, thanks to John Tonelli and Ken Morrow. And now... Uh, for some reaction and questions about the trade and maybe some other stuff. It's time for your questions with Andrew's Answers. And we'll lead off with a question from a longtime listener, uh, my buddy Colin Stevenson. Obviously, this is Islander Ranger Week, and uh, the last couple of times uh, we had that Colin was my co-host, so Colin uh, writes in, am I guesting? And uh, if you've gotten to this point of the show, Colin, I am sorry, could not pull that together. It was more about trades than Islanders, Rangers, but we'll have you on again in the near future. And Bigaloid says, now this guy has been bothering me <laughs> all trade trade deadline. Um, uh, just trying to, uh, I'm sure he's just needling me, but he says, question, if it is currently 2.47 p.m., how many minutes until 3 p.m.? And uh, Bigaloid's issue with me was... Uh, at 2.45 at the trade deadline, I started composing a tweet that said there are 15 minutes to the trade deadline, but there was a reminder that trades could still be announced after 3 p.m., you know, as the paperwork got approved. As long as the paperwork's in before 3, the trade can get done, and then, you know, the, so a lot of trades get announced after 3 p.m. Trying to do a public service in... Uh, inform people of that on Twitter. Um, and as you saw, the Islanders had a, a minor league deal uh, announced after 3 p.m. as uh, forward Matt Laredo went from Bridgeport up to the Maple Leafs organization, and the Islanders brought in minor league defenseman Jordan Schmaltz. But anyway, so so I, I type out this tweet, which I honestly started typing out at 2.45, and I said, 15 minutes to trade deadline. Reminder, things can be announced after 3 p.m. Hit send, and I guess about 10 minutes later, I see Bagaloid has kind of taken a screenshot and put, like, you know, the John Madden uh, Telestrator stuff and notes that I wrote it was 15 minutes to the trade deadline and then the timestamp said 2.47 p.m. So he wants to know if it's currently 2.47 p.m., how many minutes until 3 p.m.? Well, that would be 15, Bagaloid. Enjoy. Let's see. Uh, Jordan Gregory says, was getting a Zach Parisi tattoo a tad premature? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. Um, I mean, you, you had some basis there. Um, but you never know what's going to happen over the summer. So, uh, you know, don't, don't totally, uh, you know, don't go running back to try and have it erased yet, you know. And uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I don't have tattoos. So uh, I don't know what the process is, but, um, you know, congratulations on your new tattoo there. Um, Mike T says, and this is following up on the tattoo question, how close do you think the Parisi deal was to happening? And is that something that gets revisited over the summer? Well, for Jordan Gregory and his tattoos uh, sake, I certainly, uh, I, I hope so. But yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, through the, the reporting done by, uh, uh, by the different reporters, both in New York and in Minnesota, it was it was clear. I think that Zach Parisi waived his no trade clause specifically because he wanted to come to the Islanders, and obviously, you know, history there with his father, uh, JP, being you know uh, pretty much an Islanders legend, and uh, ironically, a guy who had been traded over right around the same age that Zach Parisi is now at thirty five. I think uh, JP was thirty four when he got traded from the Minnesota North Stars to the Islanders, the Nashant Islanders, you know, still just a, you know, almost just 
after after their birth, and of course JP really kickstarted the program with that overtime goal, and uh, you know. Uh, but anyway, so is the Parisi deal? Uh, how close was it to happening? Is that something that gets revisited over the summer? Well, it, it certainly sounds like this is something that Lou Lamarillo was working on last off season. And, you know, if Zach wants to come here, uh, you know, I, I, I do think that the teams at least talk again uh, during the uh, this coming off season. That's not to say it's going to get done, but I, I you know, I, I, I do think with Zach, Zach's interest in coming to the Islanders, that may fuel the fire a little bit and uh, we'll see where it goes. But I, I would not say that this is a, a completely a dead deal here. Um, Michael Klink says, uh, with the Islanders acquiring and signing Peugeot, which current players are likely on their way out, whether it's by releasing or an off-season trade, if possible? Now, I mean, if you look at the roster now, you know, there's uh, there's only a... a a few UFAs coming up, and that's Matty Martin and Derek Broussard and Tom Kuhnhockel, uh and defenseman, newly acquired defenseman Andy Green, and of course uh, goalie Thomas Grice. Um, uh, if if you go down the list, I, I would, you know, I, I I find it hard to see the Islanders looking at having both Matty Martin and Ross Johnson on the roster for another season. Um, I'm, I'm not predicting which way that goes. I'm just saying I, I don't think they take up two roster spots there. And obviously, Pajot's acquisition uh, is probably not great news uh, for his fellow, you know, Ottawa buddies, uh, uh, future, long-term future with the Islanders and Derek Broussard, because Derek, of course, was signed as a UFA 1.2 million to be the third-line center, and that you know, Derek, as we've discussed over and over, is toggled back and forth between third line center and, uh, you know, second line, second line wing. But, uh, you know, with Pajot here, I don't know how much of a future uh, Brass has next season here. Um, Tommy Kuhnhockel probably gets squeezed out of a role, I, I would think. Um, now, if you're looking, you know, uh, I, I, I did the math uh, per capfriendly.com. It looks like if you look at the current roster now, I'm including uh, the injured players, LTIRs, injured players, and even including Andrew Ladd, who's now back on the NHL roster. Um, I think that was 20 players uh, right now, and uh, Cap Friendly has that totaled up at about 68-69 uh, million. Now, we're not 100% sure what the salary cap is going to be next season. Uh, 81.5 million right now. Figure it goes up even if incrementally. Um, so you're, you're looking at 13 million here, but you got to get Matthew Barzell re-signed. You got to get Ryan Pulak re-signed. You got to get De Devon Tays re-signed. And I did ask Lou Lamarillo on a conference call after, uh, uh, trade deadline had passed about his certainty about being able to have the salary cap flexibility to get all that done. And he said, absolutely. And the intention is to get all the RFAs signed up, which, you know, I, I can't see the Islanders going forward without a Barzi or a, a, a Pulak or a, or a Taze. Um, but if you're looking at, at players on the current roster who, uh, you know, who might not be here beyond who I just mentioned, um, is, is there a logjam at defense? And, you know, could, could I know this has been brought up a lot and uh, it hasn't happened. And, you know, Barry Trotz is very very, uh, you know, adamant about his worth. But, you know, I, I think Nick Letty still has value on the open market uh, for a team that, uh, you know, needs a, a, you know, a potential top pair defenseman. Um, and after the season, two more seasons on Nick's deal at $5.5 million uh, per season. Um, but really, I, I really think Lou Lamarillo and Barry Trotz really like the core they have 
Um, you know, and I think it was very important to them at this trade deadline. Uh, you know, they, 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 they paid the price in draft picks, certainly, but they didn't give up anyone off the roster. Um, so I, I, I think that to me says that they really, really, really like this core. They're going to see how it goes this season. Obviously, we go into the off season and see how they can improve the team. But, you know, it, it wouldn't shock me if other than, you know, what I mentioned before in terms of UFAs, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know whether Thomas Grice gets re-signed either. And, you know, does Andy Green want to come back? You know, and like I said, Martin and Johnston, you got that kind of dual players for, you know, for basically one role there. Um, and, and then Brass, of course, being a UFA too. Um, drastic changes, I, I really probably don't expect them. Um, just based on how Lou and Barry have uh, kind of evaluated their their roster uh, up to this point. Benjamin Deer says, I've lived and worked in both Oneonta and Syracuse, just like me. What's your favorite food spot in both places? Well, I mean, uh, I'll start with Oneonta. I, the Brooks Barbecue. I love, you know, my, my, my daughter is going to college now at SUNY Oneonta, and when we go up there, I love... Uh, Going up there and getting a little bit of barbecue and hitting the coleslaw at that uh, at that uh, salad bar there. Um, there were a few places that you know when I worked there, and that was eighty nine to ninety three, right out of college, um, that that are not there um, or I didn't see them in my drives up there. So I'll go with Brooks Barbecue and Oneonta. And as far as Syracuse, I mean. Probably, you know, everyone's going to tell you, uh, you know, dinosaur barbecue, right? And, you know, you can't go wrong there. But I'll give you a uh, maybe off the radar place. And I'm not a hundred percent sure it's still there. It's off Erie Boulevard on Teal. There was a sub shop called Kegs and Cases that made, you know, just the best subs uh, I, I, I've really had, I, they were delicious. They were jam packed full of meat. You, you went there and of course, as a college student, you're not living on a big budget. So we would go out to kegs and cases and get a, a large sub with the, with the meat and, uh, you know, back, back in those days when I was in college, you know, 85 to 89, I, what would I pay for a sub, you know, like five bucks or something. And really it was at least two meals. So uh, I was a big fan of kegs and cases there. Um, John said, uh, where do you think Pajot is going to fit in? Most of the talking heads on TSN and Sportsnet think top six. I'm thinking third line gives Barry the ability to roll four lines again comfortably. And who do you think plays on his line? And you know what, John... Uh, uh, I'm I'm sort of in line with you. I, I know uh, JG was uh, you know centering the top line in Ottawa, and on the conference call, I asked him what he thought his role with the team might be, and you know he gave the answer that you know he can't really guarantee anything. He's not guaranteeing that he's going to come in here and score a ton of goals. All he can guarantee is that he gives 110 percent, and whatever role the team gives him, he'll work very hard at. Um, and I think he was being very, very sincere on that answer. Um, I, I I agree with you. I, I see him slotting in as a third line center where where Brass is now, and uh, you know maybe Brass moves over to a wing there, and uh, you know is that I, I I think you know if if I'm making up the lines, you know you keep the top line intact. Certainly the way they're playing, that's Lee Barzell. Uh, Everly left to right, and then the second line, uh, Beauvillier and Nelson aren't going anywhere, and I think Barry would prefer to get Josh Bailey back up there on the right wing um, after Sunday's game unprompted. Uh, Barry spoke eloquently for two and a half to three minutes, honestly, without a question, uh, about how much he loves Josh Bailey and his game and his hockey IQ. And, um, you know, he, he places a high value on Josh Bailey. I think Josh Bailey winds up as the right wing uh, with Nelly and Bo. And then, like I said, I think Brass slides over to a wing. Um, and you know what? I, I, I really, 
Barry really, really likes Michael Dalcal's game. He really does. He likes the grinding. He likes the uh, kind of the simplicity of getting into the corners. Obviously, you know, MDC not putting up huge numbers on in terms of, you know, production. But Barry likes the little things he sees from MDC. Um, so I could definitely see a line of uh, Dalcal, uh, Pajot, and Broussard. Uh, as a third line, and then you're waiting for Casey to get healthy there on the fourth line, and in, until until that's done, you, you probably Martin Koivula and you know probably Komarov bumps down there, um, and and that's how I would see those lines right now. Um, let's see, Ryan Maroney says I need to know if elbows are thrown in the press box between uh, yourself. Uh, at Brian Compton, NHL, uh, Brian Compton, and at Stape Athletic, uh, of course, Arthur Staple, when trying to be first to fire off a tweet mid-game. Uh, no, no elbows thrown, although the three of us do kind of sit together in a row. Arthur is uh, maddeningly, maddeningly, uh, he, he gets off his tweets pretty quickly. I, I will say that, you know, maybe it wouldn't be bad to, you know, try and distract him a little bit, but, uh, Let's see, Rye says, with Bellows assigned to Bridgeport again, maybe for the rest of the year, what did management think of his stint here? He looked okay against San Jose, despite a number of turnovers. And, well, you know, and and Barry was asked after the game about uh, Kiefer, and, and obviously what you saw in that game was the fact that Kiefer is not afraid to shoot and has a really good sense of getting a shot off and getting free to get a shot off. And uh, it's impressive uh, the way he can do that. Um, What needs to improve? And Barry Trotz, after the game, called him a work in in, uh, progress. Um, What needs to improve is pretty much the other parts of his game, his play away from the puck. Um, So, you know, when Barry brings that up, I, I think you're getting, you know, kind of a 50-50, he's good, but he's not a complete player yet. And that's that's to be expected at this point in Kiefer Bellow's career. I, I think he showed some very good things, and now I think he can go back to Bridgeport with a really good uh, understanding of exactly what he needs to tighten up to, to be a regular NHL player. Um, Glenn Thompson says, has Varley Varlamov emerged as the go-to uh Guy down the stretch with Grice going in every few. Also seems when Grice has a bad game, fans are way harder in him than when Varley does. Wonder if fans have written him off since his time with the Isles. Could be up after this season. Um, you know, uh, I can't, I couldn't tell you that. Um, but I, I do think, you know, the expectation is maybe, certainly, you know, if the Islanders can bring Ilya Sorokin over, which is a whole nother story, um, Certainly, it would seem like Thomas Grice might not have a place with the Islanders next season. Uh, and yeah, right now, Varley is the go-to guy. Was He's working on uh, five straight starts, I believe, and seven straight appearances because he uh, came in and relieved uh, for Greiser in that 5 nothing loss that started that 0-4-0 road trip out in Nashville, 5-0 loss. Uh, Greiser gave up three in that one, um, I believe. Um so, yeah, I, I think Varley is kind of emerging as the number one here, uh, or has emerged as the number one. Although Barry Trotz, again, asked about that after the San Jose game, um, went back to kind of his stock answer that he's going to need both goalies down the stretch, and he expects it to be more of a rotation. He said that a couple of times, but he seems to keep going back to Varlamov. Um, so yeah, for now, I, I think Varley is the number one goalie. Um, let's see. And Kurt Green, and we'll wrap it up with this, says with Peugeot signing and money due our RFAs in the offseason, do you see Letty being moved in the offseason? And with how well he's fit in, uh, do you see Andy Green getting re-signed? Um, I've, I've sort of touched upon Nick Letty there. Um, as far as Andy Green getting re-signed, I think a lot of that is going to be up to Andy, how he enjoys this experience. Obviously, his family and small kids, uh, four and two, are still living in Jersey uh, with his wife. Uh, he's kind of commuting out to Long Island for the time being. 
I think, you know, I, I don't think they're thinking long-term right now. I think they're both sides are going to get through the season and then reassess. I, I know, I know how much Lou values Andy Green and his game. And yeah, I, Andy Green has fit in really, really well. But of course, next season, you're expecting Adam Pellick, uh back as well. And that's the Andy Green role. So, uh, you know, and, and of course, next season, you know, you're, you're probably expecting one of two things from Noah Dobson. Either he's going to get a lot of seasoning in or in the AHL, or he's going to have a bigger role in the NHL, one of the two. So whether there's uh, really room for Andy Green next season remains to be seen. Um, I, I'm not sure that he's ready to just kind of be a, a seventh D who only plays, you know, uh, 30 games a season or so. I, I don't know. Um, I haven't spoken to Andy about that. And like I said, I think both sides just want to get through this season and then reassess the whole uh, situation. But um, thank you for submitting those questions. That is it for this week's edition of Andrew's Answers. And that is that it for this week's edition of uh, Island Ice Podcast, episode 23. Again, I am your host, Andrew Gross. You can find me on Twitter at A Gross Newsday. You can find uh, this podcast and all the Islander stories and videos. Uh, don't forget the videos on the Newsday website, newsday.com backslash sports. There's a whole Islanders page. It's got stats, standings, um, results, anything Islanders you need, just go to the Islanders page on the uh, Newsday website. You can find this podcast. Uh, we, we love for you to go to the Newsday website and find the podcast. And otherwise, it can be found uh, where all podcasts can be found. And uh, we'll be back again uh, next week with uh, episode 24 and uh, a report uh, from the Butch Goring retirement ceremony. But until then, thank you so much and happy hockey, everybody.